This episode is brought to you by Adele Golf, and we're going to talk single length irons. If you've ever wondered how a single length four iron goes just as far as a standard length, well, I have as well. So we asked David Adele, and he explained. The main attributes to single length that provide the benefit and distance that is the misconception based on its being shorter is the fact that the mass of the head is generally about 30 grams to 35 grams heavier than a standard four iron. And the two inch difference in club head speed is minimal compared to the amount of force that's being applied to the golf ball in a more perpendicular manner than a lofted golf club that compresses the ball. And with this face flex technology and more mass, that golf ball is going to spin and get height and get distance. Adele Golf makes amazing single-length irons, and you should check them out. They have an amazing demo program, so you can test them out before purchasing. You can head over and get all the details at golfsciencelab.com slash Adele. We have a bunch of podcasts, videos, diving into single-length irons. And if you do get a set, tag us, Golf Science Lab, Adele Golf, and a picture on Twitter, Instagram. I've got a, a kid who won a USGA title two years ago. And he stuffed it on 17 to about five feet after, I want to say he was two down with three to go. He wins 16 to get to one down. And the one thing you can't do with your, when you're one down with two to go is lose the hole. And I know you want to win and I know you want to, to make it happen. But the question they asked him in his, in his post-championship interview was, and then on the next hole on 17 with the pin way on the left, 30, 35 feet of green work on the right, you went and attacked that pin because he hit it to five feet. And his response was, yeah, I wasn't trying to go with the pen. I'll tell you that. I got pretty lucky. But that's why I try to play smart. And so here's a kid like, that's not what I was trying to do. And, and most importantly, like, you can win by your opponent messing up the hole. You can win by getting lucky and having the ball finished on your whole side of your distribution and make a birdie that way. You can win by making a 20 to 30 footer by if you happen to hit it exactly where you were trying to. Or you can tie the hole and move on to 18 and try it all again. Next time you're watching golf, I want you to do something. I want you to listen to the expectations that we're placing on a tour pro. Let's say they're hitting a shot from 150 yards out. We expect them to put it within 15 feet. And if they don't, they hit a bad shot. They're aiming right at that pin, trying to hit a sniper-like shot right in there. Well, let's talk about that and a bunch of other course management concepts and myths on today's episode of the Golf Science Lab. You are listening to the Golf Science Lab podcast. My name is Cordy Walker, and I'm on a mission to figure out how to improve the way that we learn and get better at golf. I've been able to travel all over the world talking to the leaders in the industry, from instructors to researchers to golfers themselves, learning how they're getting better at golf and what that means for you. Hey everyone, and welcome down to this episode and a topic that I'm passionate about, course management and the reality of scoring in golf, because we all have a bunch of preconceived notions or best practices that we bring into it that we've just been told or we thought was true from our experiences and what we've seen on TV, what we've been kind of passed on from those that are a little bit better than us. And, you know, for me growing up as a junior playing golf, I, I thought I had a plan. I thought I was smart about my game, but I had no idea. You know, even up until recently, I had no idea what course management was and how to play this game. And when you start to understand where to aim and how to play golf smarter, a lot of things open up. 
And I started to dive into this a lot, uh, talking with Will Robbins. He has the scoring method, worked with him on that, really fun. And Scott Fawcett, his decade system. Uh, and just a couple of months ago, I was actually able to attend a workshop that Scott taught, which was really, really good. Thanks to Chris Foley for putting that on up at, at Hazeltine. That was fantastic stuff. So today, I'm excited to sit down with Scott and talk myths of course management. If you don't know Scott Fawcett, he has a fascinating journey to get where he is today. I used to play professional golf, and then I, I created a, when I got my amateur status back in 2013, I created a math-based and I would say based on shot patterns strategy system for my own game because I wanted to try to win the U.S. Mid-Am. And then only because of injury did I go caddy for Will Zalatoris in 2014 when he won the Texas Amateur and the U.S. Junior and, and almost won the U.S. Amateur also that summer. And as a result, I, I had a couple college coaches asking me, you know, what in the world am I telling that kid? And I, I went and worked next with SMU and with the, since I'm from Dallas and next thing you know, Bryson has won the U.S. Amateur and NCAA championships. And next thing you know, I'm accidentally teaching strategy and mindset to, I mean, over half of the top 100 amateurs in the world, about 15 players on the PGA Tour, about 10 players on the LPGA Tour and everything from major champions to 60 year old women. <laughs> that that shoot 90. So it's it's really been fun to get involved, you know. I've always wanted to be an instructor, but I've also known man without a lot of time on the lesson tee learning how to fix certain flaws, you know, it's just not going to happen and I didn't have time to put that 10 years of of learning curve in, but if there's one thing I do know how to do, it's it's how to play golf and then once I reinforce that with some math-based based ideas, it, at the end of the day I feel like I just teach the same thing that that good playing lesson teachers have taught for the last 100 years. I just do it in a much more efficient and repeatable, systematic manner. So I feel like it's hard. We're obviously talking about golf myths, and it's hard to nail down one kind of like scoring myth or strategy myth, because I feel like our whole mindset around playing golf and the strategy of golf is kind of a myth so uh, i couldn't agree more <laughs> we're gonna try to we're gonna nail in on a few ones and i think kind of an interesting place to start is on every hole obviously we have to hit it into the green and when we think about that we most often aim for the pin however we've we've all heard this advice which is like hey you got to miss it in the right spot i remember hearing it all the time growing up so when i'd play a practice round i'd walk around, you look at the green and you put an X over where you don't want to short side yourself or that's a, mm -hmm. some nasty rough. And I think it did, you know, the grand total of absolutely nothing um, for me. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's talk about that. Where do we start? Well, it's funny because, and again, with what I teach and how I've just kind of come around a different way of teaching it, I agree. Like my yardage books were exactly like yours, where it just had an X, don't miss it here or a check. It's okay to miss it here. And one of the main concepts that I try to teach is this idea that we just have a shotgun instead of a sniper's rifle for our shot pattern. Meaning if I'm trying to hit a 140 yard shot, I mean, I may hit it anywhere as, as a plus handicap, anywhere from 10 yards left to 10 yards right of a target. And before I hit this specific shot, I don't know which one's coming. But more importantly for what you're talking about is it's not this hourglass shaped shot pattern where I either hit it close to the hole or miss it over in the right spot. That's just not how it works. But I definitely know that when I was in my 20s playing professional golf, you know, I, I certainly thought like, okay, the place to miss it's over there to the right, but I'm going to kind of fire at this pin. But maybe if I feel off in the middle of my swing, I'll just guide it over there to the place to miss it. And that's just not how it works. 
And so really you've got, instead of this idea of missing it in the right spot, the, the question that I teach people to ask is, how much do I not want to be short-sighted? So if a pin is five yards from the left and there's nothing over there left, well then technically where is the place to miss it? It's, it's either by the hole or over there to the left of the green. That's how I teach people to quantify hazards in their, in their practice rounds. But now let's say that there's a lake on the left and nothing to the right. Well, the place to miss it is obviously over there to the right. Well, I can do that by being far too conservative and just hitting all my shots over there to the right. Well, that doesn't do me any good because now I've missed the green to the long side too often. I've made all of my birdie putts too long on average. It's just not, uh, it's not necessary to get that conservative. The real question is, how much do I not want to miss it left? And in this case, it's a lake, a literal one-stroke penalty. So I really don't want to hit it there. So I need to be more conservative away from that based on the size of my shot pattern. And so that's really what Decade tries to focus on is teaching you how aggressive, and it's funny because most people think that I just teach conservative golf. I'm like, no, I'm actually trying to teach you to be as aggressive as physically possible, especially in a situation like that. I don't want you just firing it out to the right for no real reason. So let's figure out how much based on different hazards do I not want to hit it short-sighted in this situation to the left. So our current paradigm is we've got lake left, hole is just kind of there. We're going to aim, you know, maybe at the hole or maybe a little bit right of it. And, you know, I'm just going to try to hit a cut and hopefully it goes to the right and I don't miss it to the left. So our new paradigm is what? Maybe explain that. Well, I, again, I'm a big proponent of shaping it one direction. So your exact scenario there is how much, you know, would I want to cut it with a seven iron to a pin five yards off the left edge up against the lake? Not at all. But now once I calculate the correct target and I'm just making this up, let's pretend it's, it's 11 yards from the edge of the green. Well, hitting a cut shot to a point in space that's 11 yards away from the water, that's no big deal at all. And then I've got the left half of my shot pattern that should still be in really good shape, you know, with a decent look at birdie, even in that situation. And the right half of my shot pattern should be anywhere from putting from 30 to 50 feet all the way out to chipping across the green from the right side. And, and so much of what I focus on is expectation management from the fairway on the PGA tour from 180 yards, kind of that shot that I'm talking about exactly. The average score is 3.08 strokes to hole out. That's just straight from Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts. And typically when I work with, you know, these young college players, I'm like, just take the seven iron and put it anywhere on that green. And it's going to be about a positive strokes gain shot. And the, the response is, that's just not that hard to do. I'm like, great, then do it. Like, and then you're just accumulating all these little tenths of a stroke, hundreds of a stroke sometimes. But when you do that for 18 straight holes, it adds up to, wow, I just gained a stroke of my competition and I didn't really do anything necessarily that special aside from be patient and, and simply plod along. I think this leads us right into our, our other myth here is that, you know, Hitting the green sounds so absurd to us because we watch TV and we hear them say, oh, I, you know, they missed their spot and the ball ends up 20 feet to the right of the target. And, you know, just a fine place. It doesn't really matter, to be honest. But, you know, they're mm -hmm. they're panicking because they missed their spot and they're 20 feet away. And that's that's totally not true. That those expectations that what we're watching, that they're so yeah. aggressive that, you know, if they don't hit that seven iron within 10 feet, they're freaking out. Well, and that's what's just silly about commentating in general. And again, I, I say it all the time, and I'm probably just saying it so I don't piss off the <laughs> announcers too much, but I can't imagine how hard it would be to fill four hours of dead air with some sort of enlightening commentary that's different every day. It would be almost impossible. But I laugh whenever they 
you know, if there's a hole, a pin over there on the left side of the lake, you know, by the lake that we're discussing, and they hit it to a foot, and the announcer's just like, that is amazing confidence to just take on that flag. I'm like, that's probably not where they were aiming it. That's just a convenient outcome where they happen to hit it in the left side of their shot pattern. I guarantee you with guys like Justin Thomas, Jordan Spieth, Tiger Woods, you know, Jack Nicholas, I guarantee you that's what's going on. And if you go do that for 72 holes or more importantly for an entire season, you will have a few weeks that line up with a hot putter, an extra shot or two on the whole side of your distribution, and you'll win. Like that's how you win tournaments. I, I was just on Facebook. This guy had said that Tiger was the only person in any major championship to have or in any sport to have multiple major championship win streaks. I'm, I'm like, Federer has to have had one. I log in there. He's had five different win streaks of back-to-back or back-to-back-to-back major championships. If it weren't for Nadal, he likely would have won the Grand Slam back-to-back years. And it's just, the, the point of that is this isn't tennis where if I'm better than you, I'll beat you basically every single time. Golf simply requires luck. And in a career where everyone's talking about how great Jordan Spieth is, He's already missed more cuts than Tiger did in his entire career. And his win rate, I, I want to say he's at like 11 or 12 wins and probably 140 or 50 starts. Uh, again, Jordan's absolutely incredible. He's been ranked number one in the world. And he's made a gajillion dollars and won several majors, obviously. But at the end of the day, his win rate is, is 10% or less. <laughs> like, you just don't win much in this game, unfortunately. And And it's that expectation management, like you said, is is so important and our mm-hmm. a lot of our expectations are really high you know especially if you're not trying to figure this out you know i think the common 20 handicapper has the expectations of a scratch and a common scratch has the expectations of a tour pro and it's not helping anybody i know you're kind of going for for a little bit of of an exaggeration there but i guarantee you you're probably pretty close if you said a 20 had the expectations of a 10 the 10 of a 5 the 5 of a scratch and the scratch of a tour player i mean I've got a buddy here in town who's a, a plus one handicap. And whenever I was playing professionally from 2009 through 2013 or whatever it was, uh, he and I've played hundreds of rounds of golf in our life and he's never beat me a single time as a plus one handicap. Like at the time I'm probably a plus six or seven, something like that. And people really can't appreciate the the distance every five or so strokes in a handicap makes like you just, it's a totally different realm, but it was a great analogy you made there of you kind of have the expectations of the slightly better player and so far out of whack, it's amazing. Another myth that we all hear about is that, you know, you are three shots back, two shots back, you're coming down the last stretch of holes and you are just, you've got to force birdies, right? You have to go after every pin and you just have to play super aggressive, like, tiger did in his in his prime or just even the, you know this spring right but he didn't but he, but yes <laughs> so tell us why why is that not true well i mean so i've got a, a kid who won a usga title two years ago and he stuffed it on 17 to about five feet after i want to say he was two down with three to go he wins 16 to get to one down and the one thing you can't do with your, when you're one down with two to go is lose the hole and i know you want to win and i know you want to to make it happen but the question they asked him in his, in his post-championship interview was, and then on the next hole on 17 with the pin way on the left, 30, 35 feet of green work on the right, you went and attacked that pin because he hit it to five feet. And his response was, yeah, I wasn't trying to go with the pin. I'll tell you that. I got pretty lucky. But that's why I try to play smart. And so here's a kid like 
that's not what I was trying to do. And, and most importantly, like you can win by your opponent messing up the hole. You can win by getting lucky and having the ball finished on your whole side of your distribution and make a birdie that way. You can win by making a 20 to 30 footer by if you happen to hit it exactly where you were trying to, or you can tie the hole and move on to 18 and try it all again. Unfortunately, you're in a really bad spot when you're a couple down with two or three to go. You know, six of the 10 players that were on this year's Walker Cup team for the Americans have sat through my seminar before, and they basically all called or texted me before the Walker Cup this year. What do I do if I'm three down with three to go? I'm like, you shouldn't have gotten three down. But there's nothing we can do to change that right now. You're going to need a little help, most likely, and you're going to need something to go well for you. But that exact shot that I just described from the kid who won the USGA championship, if he had been firing that at the pin trying to force it, and then he missed his target by his actual target by about 20 feet left, that exact same shot would have been short-sighted and probably dead. He most likely would have lost the hole and lost the tournament. And so it really is about, you know, Doc Redman, who won last year's U.S. Amateur, he sent me a, an email after he won saying thanks. And, and just to say, a lot of people have asked me if my mindset ever changes. And, and I respond to that. It doesn't matter if I'm four up or four down. I just try to stick to decade. And I just, you know, I know that it'll pan out some. And here's a guy who was a few down with the couple weeks before the U.S. Amateur in the finals of the Western Am. It didn't work out. He lost that one a few down. In the USAM, he was a couple down, and he just kept on sticking to it, and he winds up getting hot, making a, a couple putts coming in, and wins the USAM. Like, that's a great outcome. You, you don't get to win every tournament. I know we all want to, but that's just not the way it works. Yeah, I, I want to emphasize that in your, in your example there where he hit it next to the pin that was just over the water, that he was not trying to hit it short. It was just happened. He happened to hit it a little bit shorter in his shot pattern, right? Mm-hmm, exactly. And so if he would have been aimed at that pin, he would be sitting in the water, lost it. And we're not talking about that necessarily. Exactly. And, and you know, and, and the main reason, you know, th- these are all just anecdotal stories, but having caddied for Zalatoris, you know, in a hundred rounds of golf, a couple guys on tour, a guy named Kramer Hickox, Spieth's roommate, caddied for him at final stage of Q school. And, you know, it's just the way it works. Like again, I don't know if it's I've got a high golf IQ, and then I've caddied a, a lot of holes for a lot of great players when they're winning tournaments, and I just get to kind of watch it. But more importantly, I get to also listen to the player caddy conversation in our in our group, and you can just hear these kids. I shouldn't say just kids, tour players also trying to do way more than is necessary, trying to force it. And, and I thought what Tiger just did at Innisbrook was the greatest example possible. Everyone's freaking out because Tiger knows he has to birdie 18. Rarely in golf do you have perfect information because if, if you think about it, to have perfect information, you've got to be a guy like Tiger, who he wasn't in the final group, but he's lucky that the guys in the final group weren't doing anything, so they were out of it, and that a guy in front of them, Patrick Reed, had just posted a super low round, or not Patrick Reed, whoever it was, had just posted a super low round, and so Tiger knew I have to make birdie here. And yet Tiger still hit two iron, seven iron. Here is the greatest player, in my opinion, is certainly one of the top two of all time, giving you a literal clinic on how he approaches golf. I know I have to birdie this hole. That doesn't change anything. I've selected my, my strategy that I believe is best for that. And I'm sticking to it. And here's everyone freaking out that he's effectively an idiot for not trying to force it. I, I just, I find it truly comical that he just could not have given a better exhibition of, of correct golf and everyone's telling him he's 
he should have been hitting driver. Like it's just it's literally silly. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is it gets back to that myth of you know we think Tiger, we think all these tour pros you know are amazing that they're going to hit it at every pin and you know we should expect them to see that within within ten feet when. You know, some of your stories about, you know, what Tiger said in interviews and stuff is is he's not aiming at that pin. Not even close. I mean, again, I've gone through every single shot that Tiger hit in, in shot link by hand and actually looked at they, they make these PDFs that show you where the ball went to. So if Tiger just hits a random shot to a foot or to 40 feet, I don't have a clue where he was technically aiming that one specific shot. But if you go look at a couple thousand of them, you can start to figure it out. And, and that's thing is he just he just wasn't aggressive ever period there's no two ways about it and it's it's funny because there's an article written by Jaime Diaz for golf magazine a couple of years ago called the payoff for playing all out golf and they gave they gave these examples of of a few players who've who've only won one time in their career and said well you know now in order to win on tour you've got to go out and fire at every single pin like such and such and literally it's like four or five one time winners but then the article and I wish I could remember exactly how it's worded but it says most people see the the traditional plodding along conservative nature of players like Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods is not being sexy. <laughs> like so your pro aggressive example is I don't even pick anyone out, but is, is a couple guys who've won once on tour, and your anti-conservative is Jack Nicholas and Tiger Woods. Got it. Like it's literally the silliest article I've ever read in my life <laughs> based on that alone. One other myth that I think is super interesting is about front hole locations. I heard you talk about this and it kind of blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, there's a guy named Richie Hunt, who's Richie3Jack on Twitter, who does some great big data analysis sometimes. And in his pro golf synopsis last year, it kind of made me mad because he kind of, that's one of the main things that I used to exploit for my tour players is this idea that front hole locations play with the highest scoring averages on tour. And it's, it's funny because they do. Unless there's a lake short. So like number nine at Colonial, there's a lake short. So the tour players are kind of forced to not be idiots. So they go ahead and pitch it more to the middle of the green because of that lake. But then you take a hole like number 13 at Riviera, where there is no trouble short. And so let's pretend that the, the player caddy conversation is okay. We're 155 to the front, 160 to the pin. That really implies to me that they're trying to land at about 157 or eight, trying to stuff it to make birdie. And all of those shots, they, they just they litter that green short of the green. And now they're short-sided to what are always firm greens at Riviera. It's just the worst place possible you can miss it. And it's, it's because, so like lateral deviation from left to right, there is no matter what, there's, there's a middle point where half your shots are left and half your shots are right. So directionally, that's what I consider your aim in the middle of this shotgun pattern, if you will. But distance-wise... Even tour players, if, if I just was having a conversation with a kid named Jonathan Garrick, who graduated from UCLA, and I, we were going over a few things. He's been injured for about six months, and before his first tournament down in Latin America, I was talking about this front hole location concept with him, and, and I was like, look, it, how far do you hit your eight iron? He says, 155. I'm like, is it ever going to magically go off and go 165? And he's like, no. I'm like, but you're going to accidentally hit some 145, aren't you? He's like, Yeah. That's the problem is even just the slightest mishits, which you're going to do over half the time causes even for tour players. Now it's just more exaggerated for amateurs, but you're going to hit it short of your average really, really often. 
And especially to front hole locations, that's a giant, giant problem. And again, that's where decade, when we start talking about how far to be aiming it from any edge of the green, it will just push your shot pattern further into the green, which will allow the vast majority of your shots that are slightly missed to actually come up with the correct distance. And what sucks, and I say it all the time, is you actually wind up scoring in proper golf. You wind up scoring with some of your, your more marginal shots, not your bad shots. Those are still off the green. But your marginal shots actually wind up being the ones that you just happen to hit to the whole side of that, that, that distribution that go close, make birdie. And then your best shots are usually 20, 25 feet away, and you're just two-putting for par. But the flip side of that, the only other way, the only other option is to have your good shots be close, and then your marginal shots are barely missing the greens and chipping, and that's always just a negative outcome. You had this conversation with either these really high-level amateur players or tour pros. What is the hardest kind of thought process to change? Or do any stories stand out of someone that just had a really hard time you know, believing some of these strategy shifts? I would say the best one is, is Sam Burns. It, it's been cool because for the first few years that I've taught this, I haven't been able to mention a lot of my players' names because they're amateurs. But now that guys like Maverick McNeely and Sam Burns and Bo Hostler and Zalatoris, these guys are turning professional, I can start talking about them. And, and Sam's the one that comes to mind where I, I worked with him. He was, I mean, he was already number one in the world as a junior when I started working with him. It's, he, was, he was great already. He goes off to college his freshman year, and he doesn't play very well at LSU. He calls me, or it just for him, didn't play very well. And he calls me in January and he said, man, I, I feel like I've got to play more aggressive at this level to win. And I'm not going to talk someone out of that. I'm like, cool, you've got three and a half years left. Knock yourself out. And, you know, just don't be so proud to not call me back if and when you, you see the issues. And he calls me in July and he's like, dude, I've made the same mistake a couple weeks in a row. If it weren't for knowing decade, I probably wouldn't even have picked up on it. But because of knowing it, I see the mistake and I'm all in. The dude goes off and wins five times in the Nicholas Award uh, his sophomore year and turns professional and obviously is doing some amazing things out there right now. And that's exactly how it works. I mean, this guy, he thought that at this level, I've, you know, these guys are so good. I've got to get more aggressive in order to start forcing my, my birdies as opposed to just understanding it's the ebb and flow of a season. You typically don't just play great every week. You, you've got this ebb and flow. And that's why buying into the idea of the shotgun that before I hit this shot, I don't know specifically what is going to happen. And as a result, I have to play with proper strategy, you know, because along the same idea, Martin Flores was down playing in a web event in 2016 or 2016. And he sent me a message after the first round where, you know, he's like, dude, where you had me aiming the sandwich from 110 was just silly. I'm, I'm going to, I've got to get more aggressive because the pin was up against the lake. And unfortunately the target was about four or five yards right of this pin. Cause it was tucked right against the lake. And unfortunately he striped it right where he was trying to. And you know, you got to get a little bit of a miss in order to hit it close. And I said, sure, knock yourself out. Well, in the third round, the pin was now on the back left. He had the exact same shot and he put it in the water by a yard, he told me, and made double. <laughs> it was like, that's, uh, I'm glad I learned my lesson quickly because that's the exact shot that it wasn't where I was trying to hit. But if I had used the proper decade target, I would have hit that shot to two feet and instead I made double. I, I get it that I didn't know in the first round what exactly was going to happen before I hit that shot. And, and that's, I, I say it all the time now, now especially that I'm 44 and in pain. I, I would give anything to be 25 or six and go back with my physical game, physical body, 
and this brain and try to play professional golf? Because I, I tell everyone in advance, this would be really hard to do because you want to go out and make birdies and shoot 63 and force it. But it's just not the way it works. And you just have to plot along and manage your game. And, uh, and at the end of the day, it's this, it's this giant paradox where golf is so hard that you have to play it correctly, which actually makes it really simple if you do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think for me, kind of a really very dumbed down takeaway would just be to, you know, lower your expectations and maybe next time you're hitting at a green just to try to hit the green and <laughs> for sure and be happy with it. It's right? a starting point for sure. Yeah. And if you want to go deeper, Decade's awesome. Um, you invited me up to one of your workshops and it was absolutely fantastic. I am excited to test it out this year in my game. And uh, people should people should learn more about it. What is the best way for folks to do that? Um, you know, I'd say following me on Twitter. It's just Scott Fawcett, F-A-W-C-E-T-T -T, on Twitter. Or my, my uh, website is playinglesson.com. If you just Google my name in Decade, you'll come up with quite a few podcasts and quite a few stories. And I would say that's the best way. I appreciate it. Yeah. And for everyone and for everyone out there in listening land, Cordy's got some game. I, it's so funny because, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm so new to the, uh, to the industry. I, I don't know who does and doesn't play, but you know, we've met a time or two around the way and, you know, you've got your, your man pony and you just look like you're out there in the <laughs> middle of it. And I honestly did, I did not expect you to have any game at all. And we're in Hazeltine simulator and, uh, <laughs> the dude's in high tops and a coat and stripes his first one 300 down the middle. I was like, oh, wow. It was really, uh, it, it was impressive. You'll, you're going to do some good things with it uh, this year. I'm excited to hear how it goes for you. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it as well because, I mean, I've just always played. You know, I wish I would have had this as a junior, obviously. I think everyone probably says that, that, that um, kind of gets some golf IQ. But I mean, you just literally just have no strategy as a golfer. I feel like, like we all grow up with nothing. But even if you have something, it's so undefined. And this is what I say. And I, and I, it's, it's, I try to not be disrespectful to teaching professionals, but the traditional playing lesson as given is just, Hey, hit it out towards the middle of the screen here. Well, if, if the greens are completely different sizes, that, that might work for your home course to play it smarter, but for a junior golfer, collegiate golfer, amateur golfer, anyone that wants to learn how to be able to recognize that situation in real time, you've got to have a more formulaic systematic approach to doing it. And that's what decade really provides where I'm going to give you an exact target, regardless of the size of the green, regardless of the hazard, regardless of anything. And that's where the traditional playing lesson, a kid has to recognize in real time in a tournament. Oh, this is the same thing that, that Joe pro was telling me on number six at my home course. And it's just I'm not gonna say it's useless, but it's, it's pretty close to useless for the most part. And that's assuming that you've actually got someone who's played the game at a high level and knows what the heck they're talking about. God forbid you get a, a you know, a teaching professional who really hasn't played the game at a high level and they're just kind of making up course management because that's not, that's not good either. Thank you so much to Scott for joining us on the podcast. Make sure to check out if he is doing a workshop near you because that is an awesome thing to go attend and check out. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as well. You can subscribe in any podcast app that you use. If you're an Apple podcast, make sure to hit that and leave a review if you've enjoyed this to help us reach more golfers and help inform better practices around learning and improving. And if you want to become a Golf Science Lab Insider to get access to the content first and stay up to date on everything that's going on in our world, head over to golfsciencelab.com slash insider completely free. Highly recommend that you do that. 
This episode was hosted and written by me, Cordy Walker. You can follow me on Twitter at Cordy Walker and was edited, mixed, and produced by Just Hit Publish Productions. 